to episode 9 of The Panic Pod. Uh, the title of this episode is called Health Anxiety, um, which, as you can guess, is anxiety around your health. Um, how's your health, Ella? Yeah, it's doing really good. Um, I mean, it's no secret the timing of that we're doing this. We're sort of like hitting people with the news a little bit late, but funny, the last thing that we were... I'm half joking about. I probably shouldn't have been joking about it before this was the coronavirus. And um, yeah, no, my health is good, but more importantly, my health anxiety is in check right now. I am definitely prone to um, making things seem worse than they are in mm-hmm. uh, terms of health, um, worrying about stuff that doesn't need to be worried about. And what a kind of apt uh, podcast to be talking about uh, health in the wake of something that I think globally uh, people are now understanding maybe a little bit of what health anxiety is like with this, what the mm-hmm. WHO has just called a pandemic I saw in The Guardian this morning. So mm. uh, yeah, interesting timing. But for myself, both mental anxiety health-wise and physical health-wise, I'm doing okay. How about you? Yeah, I'm alright. I'm doing okay. Um, it's yeah, you're right. It's well timed. Um, this kind of subject that we're going to look at. Um, we will mention a bit about the the pandemic, but mostly I just want to talk about health anxiety in general, mm-hmm. um, how it manifests, and then what we'll be able to see is is yeah, a, a little glimpse into why we catastrophize about certain. Mm-hmm. Um, anxious thoughts and feelings. Uh, also, going to test you today as well to see your knowledge thus far about kind of how ang- health anxiety manifests. Okay, um, pay attention this time. Yeah, and I- I've had health anxiety in the past, um, and and to be honest, I-, I probably still do get a bit uncomfortable around the topic of health mm. nowadays, um, particularly symptoms and stuff. But um, not just because of basic anxiety but it's actually health related stuff for me actually triggers a few kind of deep associations with stuff Mm -hmm. um which i don't mind being open and honest about um okay so let's look at health anxiety let's define health anxiety well so in one of our earlier episodes when we mentioned the term hypochondria uh this is where you think that the term health anxiety is a better descriptor for what some people will consider hypochondria is that fair to say correct and to uh, even in my practice i take it a step further so oh you're up you're being a hypochondriac is is you know it's a bit of a mean label mm. and it's a bit dismissive health anxiety is a bit more of a nicer cushioned kind of label to put on it yeah but in general i like to switch it to i get anxious when uh-huh, okay. So, uh, so people with health anxiety, do you remember when we were talking about how you get normal anxiety and excessive anxiety? Right. You know, so excessive anxiety is when that fight or flight is just going off like off like crazy. We're about an 8, 9, 10 on our scale. And what happens is the mind tries to look for reasons as to why with, with that level of anxious arousal. Um, so, for example... I could be sat there with you, you have a headache, but you don't suffer with anxiety, so you're probably thinking, okay, I'm a bit dehydrated, maybe I'm stressed. Whereas the person who's prone to those excessive bursts of 
of anxiety, they'll automatically assume, well, what if I've got a, a brain tumour? What if I've got a brain aneurysm? What if I'm about to pass out and faint? What if this headache never goes away? And yet two people could be having the same symptom, but the person with health anxiety or gets anxious around health, um, they'll interpret that um, in a more catastrophic way. Right. Um, why do you think that is? Go on, I'll put you on the spot straight away. Why, why can one person react to a symptom in one way and why could someone react in a different way? Well, um, as these go on, I think I'm getting a little bit more knowledge and starting to see some patterns here. So um, I would... You're learning that, something. Oh my right? gosh. Really? <laughs> We're not even episode 10 yet. Um, but it makes me think about... Um, the intrusive thoughts episode and you consider two people walking across a bridge and i i remember you used joe blogs as the example of someone who doesn't suffer from anxiety um always seems to quote get things right uh and he might have the thought what would it happen what would happen or what would my life be like if i the thought of jumping off of a bridge or throwing himself off a bridge comes into your mind but then uh an anxious person through the amygdala uh, firing to uh, to affect the body and create a body anxious response, person B, who isn't Joe Boggs, can take that thought a lot more seriously and think, I have to follow this or like, oh, what, what would my life be like if this actually happened? And you kind of take that thought further and yes. you start to avoid things. Um, you start to change your patterns because you kind of chase the thought. So that would, I think, be the biggest sort of separator um, between someone who you feel something changing in your body like a, and it feels like it could be a symptom and everybody at that point has a decision of how you want to react to it. Are you going to take note of it, acknowledge it, say that's there, keep an eye on it, or are you going to follow that thought and think about the worst case scenario that could happen? Hmm. That's a really good answer. And I also want to add to the answer when we were talking about worried voice and false comfort. Because you're right, um, let's say Joe Bloggs gets a headache, but he doesn't have anxiety. So he just has his wise mind going, well, oh, you got a headache, who cares? Mm. But people with anxiety have the extra two voices. Mm. Worried voice, and if you've not heard the previous episodes, worried voice begins every sentence with what if. And false comfort. And false comfort wants to immediately make you feel better just in case that what if comes true. So let's use a headache. What if this headache means I've got brain cancer? Now wise man's going, mm, probably not. And you're having an excessive anxious response here. So it's probably going to feel dangerous. But why don't we come back to this when our anxiety calms? But we don't listen to that because false comfort seems to jump in beforehand. And false comfort goes... Oh, no, don't be silly, you haven't got it. And then worry voice goes, but what if you have? And then false comfort goes, uh, okay, well, why don't we Google it? Mm. And worry voice goes, oh, but, yeah, but um, this says it could be an aneurysm. False comfort, it probably isn't. But what if it is false comfort? Okay, well, then let's keep Googling and finding out and keep finding that reassurance. Basically, we end up chasing reassurance. Mm. Or as uh, Martin Seif and Sally Winston describe, the reassurance trap. Mm. We end up in this reassurance trap. So 
you're right with Joe Bloggs and the intrusive thoughts of, uh, uh, about the bridge. Mm-hmm. People can simply avoid the bridge. But with health anxiety, it's a bit different. What happens is we fixate. Mm-hmm. We fixate. So I work with a lot of clients who, let's say, they notice a mark on their skin. And they have an excessively anxious response. Mm. Worried voice comes in and goes, what if that means something sinister? False comfort. Nah, it's just a skin mark. Worried voice. But what if it's something else, like skin cancer or something horrendous? Leprosy. False comfort. Well, um, okay, well, it probably isn't, but keep an eye on it. Mm. Check it every hour. Check every ten minutes. As soon as that goes, then you know. You're ahead of the danger. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get someone with health anxiety. Constantly checking, testing that we mentioned before in the previous episode. And and kind of compulsion because they believe that anxious response Mm. means something. Mm. You know, it just means something. I, I get it a lot with people who have twitches. Their eye twitches. Oh my God, I'm out. I've got motor neuron disease or MS. You know, I get it with people who can't swallow. I get it with people who can't get a full breath. Mm. I get it with people who haven't had a bowel movement for a long time. I get it with people who can't sleep. I get it. And it's just any symptom, usually a symptom of anxiety, actually, which is the sad thing because you end up perpetuating a cycle. Um, but any symptom like heart palpitations, dizziness, the realization is the big one. Mm. So I was telling you about with panic. Um, we end up in a circle where we keep compulsively checking and testing because we don't believe that that anxiety is a false alarm. Mm. Um, I hope that makes sense. No, yeah. No, this is, yeah. That's very interesting to um, to think about that when you fixate. Um, yeah, I, I've definitely been in that position where I think that searching for a diagnosis is yeah that's gonna make it go away like as soon as i find one google page or one webmd page that describes my symptoms then like once i can label it i'll be able to let it go but just the mere fact mm. that you're doing that really i think i could speak for people with health anxiety that you don't actually feel that relief until you've actually visited a doctor so to do this whole googling your symptoms thinking about things is like the worst false comfort because it's not actually changing you know Mm. you um but Mm. uh sometimes it's you know whichever of those that it is that you're getting whether that is actually like getting you know your advice from your doctor or looking that up it's like Mm. it's it's serving something which is when your wise mind kicks in again sometimes you see that that was just a a result of what was latent in the jug. And as you were talking about um, how things mm-hmm. like when you think about the jug metaphor again, um, your jug is like your threshold of stressors that mm-hmm. your anxiety can manage during a day. And um, if you have many different types of anxieties or, or underlying stresses that are um, mm. being carried with you throughout your day, then you're much closer to tipping into sometimes people that's a panic attack or um Mm. or being irritable or any of the other things that that happen through anxiety so i think this is a really interesting one to talk about because health is one of those things that if it's just you experiencing it you need to acknowledge 
when the health anxiety is there because that could be adding to this um, dormant layer of emotions that's there but at the same time you don't mm. want to be fixated on it because you know that's just going to make no. it worse I find it really helpful to just say I'm a fixator because I, I am, I'm a warrior, I'm a fixator I will fixate on stuff and it's really cool so if I'm if I'm doing a project for example and I'm fixating on that it's pretty cool because it ends up Mm. me being really really productive mm. you know or if there's a task at work or, or whatever mm. being a fixator is not a bad thing just unfortunately when you fixate on stuff like you've got a tendency to fixate on stuff like problems mm. you know you interpret that anxious response as a problem mm-hmm. then we start to fixate and end up in the reassurance trap right. um, here's a question for you mm-hmm. of the three voices that we use so wise mind so that's our mind that's always there but it's particularly loud when we're not anxious uh wise mind worried voice and false comfort which voice do you think is responsible for looking after us if we do have symptoms of an illness um that's most responsible for looking after us um that has the best judgment yeah i would say wise mind is the one if after a while, if you've gone through this sort of uh, anxiety false comfort loop a few times, maybe you have been Googling symptoms. I think that wise mind is what finally comes in and tells you, we either have to drop this, you know, we as in the trio of those three voices together. Or yeah, yourself, I love like, that. Yeah. Like we either have to drop this or if it's if there's actual symptoms that, okay, maybe other people in your life are questioning at the same time or you you're actually tar- starting to get serious you're like okay well i have been looking the skin mark has been here for you know a month two months now and it hasn't changed and i'm a bit worried about it. okay i'm gonna go to my doctor it's like finally your wise mind going like this this is at the point where it's rational to go get this checked out Perf- perfect yeah and most people with health anxiety they they fall into the false belief that worried voice is the only thing looking out for them mm. anxiety is the only thing looking out for them Oh. So if anxiety is going, oh my god, you know you, you know you notice like a little lump or a cyst, or you've noticed that this headache's not shifting, um, the wise mind will notice that too. Mm-hmm. Just go, yeah, maybe this, you know, maybe there is something. There's a symptom that's been around here. Let's go to the doc and find out. Mm-hmm. You don't need that massive fight or flight response yeah. to teach you otherwise, because you get people. I mean, on the subject of health anxiety, there'll be pe- people listening who have either or known someone who compulsively goes to the doctor constantly for reassurance, the first sign of anything. Uh, you'll get people here who are serial reassurance seekers. They're part of health anxiety groups on Facebook or online or forums, constantly tra- you know trawling forums. Uh, you'll have people that write certain things down, take screenshots on their phone of just to remind themselves that, that they're okay because there's an article that made them feel better. Mm. Um, you know, and it's all these things, but at the same time, all this is doing is teaching us that our own wise mind isn't capable. Someone else has to tell us that we're okay. Now, don't get me wrong. Always go to the doctor if you've got kind of, if you feel like there's something wrong. I'm talking from the sense that as soon as we have a slight symptom of anything, the people that just assume and catastrophize that it's the worst possible thing that mm-hmm. it could be, 
Mm-hmm. And I think that's the difference. Um, obviously, when you get into the pattern of that, it's like that's no way to live. That's just what's coming to my mind is as we're saying this. It's just like, like if. I, I've actually, yeah, had friends as well who um, know about themselves. Like, yeah, like she, she's a self-confessed, oh, I'm a hypochondriac. But, um, mm. but that doesn't reduce the number of times that she's going to like go to the doctor and seek that reassurance. And mm. that is damaging after a while because you feel like you can't even, you feel like you're not trusting your own judgment of symptoms or that there's guilt of like, well, the past three visits have turned out to be Mm. nothing am i wasting this am i wasting Mm. doctor's time like there's a whole um other loop of things but it's to me it's like what way is that to live if you're constantly in that loop of there might be something wrong with me there might be something wrong with me yeah and just noticing that you're in that loop is is something that you do in in therapy particularly in things like cbt uh when you just notice oh no i'm in this loop quite a lot here you know, obviously I work mostly humanistically in my practice, but I do use this kind of knowledge, psychoeducation, to say, have you noticed you keep going around these circles here? Mm. And actually, here's here are the three different voices that, that kind of mm-hmm. perpetuate this cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, I mean, there's quite a few. I'm trying to think of some examples of people that I, that I work with. I get people that compulsively check and test as a result of false comfort, um, but also people that avoid. Now this whole new flu, COVID, hmm. whatever outbreak that's going on, um, the coronavirus thing, um, what's really interesting is look looking at the behaviours of people. Hmm. And it's tied in nicely to what we're talking about, about panic and anxiety and anxious behaviours. Um, so thinking about the anxious behaviours around the coronavirus... What have you noticed in terms of people acting out of false comfort, avoidance, catastrophizing, yeah. things like that? What have you noticed? Yeah. I don't know what it's like over in Canada. Has everyone lost their mind? Or it's interesting. My local shop's out of toilet roll, which is hilarious. I don't understand why. Actually. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Even though it's nothing to do with anything. Like that. Yeah. Unless you're going to sit down and have a seriously spicy curry. There's no reason to have all that kind of toilet roll, but yeah. That people think that we are going to be in this bunker situation. It's really interesting in um in Alberta because I think there's only been two cases, and so it's like very very like the local government is like you know we're just on watch because we know that this is a thing that spread. What's particularly interesting uh, for me at the moment is that normally I don't watch tv like for the past three years in university i'd be the type of person like i'm getting my news off of websites and like people have reposted articles to facebook and you observe it that way but um but no like back here the tv is on a lot and um so the the news cycle kind of wanting to always keep the public updated on what's the latest with like where has it spread to is taking something that I think people have already said isn't the most, um, isn't the most damaging thing once you get it. Uh, in for many people, you know, you'll be fine. And so to perpetuate, the fear is kind of made people forget that, um, which is interesting. And mm. um, yeah, that 
people's false comforts tend to be things that last mm. month nobody thought you needed to be like stocked up on and, and i feel bad for health officials who are saying like stop buying masks to protect yourself because this is something that is actually in short supply for people who really need it like if you're a health professional and you really need it or you're mm. you're in public more you know mm. um but yeah i was just watching uh yeah someone on instagram and just like the whole the whole body language of it is um be on alert be suspicious of everyone and mm. meerkat mode i call it yeah literally <laughs> that's mode. what it was it was somebody parodying these current events which is kind of touchy because it's like you know people are still losing loved ones to this like it's not really something to joke about but that i was just sort of observing the body language like yes yeah, that meerkat mode of watching out for whatever's going to go wrong next um kind of mm. thing um mm. So that's definitely a, th- a thing here. Think, think about it as well. It's so, it, it catches on. Because there'll be a lot of anxious people listening, but it catches on that amygdala is constantly kind of ready to be triggered around danger. So when you read a kind of scary article like coronavirus, uh, and it gives you an anxious response, and then that keeps getting drip-fed to you and repeated over and over and over and over and over, and over, and over again. Yeah, and then but then what people are doing is we start to avoid it. So I've actually been working with some clients recently, and I just said, "Well, turn it off again. I want you to read about coronavirus for five hours straight, and when you get bored, you know you've turned off the amygdala." Mm. And that's how how crazy is that? Because a lot of people go, "Oh my God, not the coronavirus! Turn it off! Turn it off!" It's like, well, look look at the facts. You know, you're probably going to be all right. I say this, this could be famous last words. You know, someone could be listening to this in a year. Uh, No, in general, you're going to be all right. You know, uh, um, and some people are at risk, I know, and I'm not not negating that fact. But the biggest uh, fear or the biggest worry in all this is the worry itself. Mm -hmm. The panic that it spreads, you know, and the fact that I can't get toilet roll from a local Morrison's. Um, but it's just kind of like, just look at it and go, instead of running and hiding and showing it, if you're bored of it, fine, don't bother watching. But if you're terrified of it, don't run away from it. Just read it to the point where it's boring. Mm. And actually, it's, it's work with some of my clients. They're like, they're like, it's not a taboo anymore. I did sit there and I watched and I read all day and I'm just bored of it. Yeah. And actually, I started to see it through a very critical lens. Um, but that's only if you're terrified of it. If you're not, then yeah, just just try and ignore it because there is a lot of terror that that sells newspapers and yields clicks. Yeah, and I so I know that the topic of this podcast is just health anxiety. But just for the last few minutes that we have here, I think just on the these current events that are happening, it's cool to use this as an opportunity to look at when the media strikes fear into us in general, this could be something political that's going on. Um, Media needs viewership. And so Mm -hmm. opportunities like this, where it's like, no, this is important, we're spreading the news, is also times when it's like just locking people who wouldn't normally be watching BBC for that many hours a day into the cycle of it as well. And um, there was... uh, 
a quote that, okay, so in the Mystery Planet Fold, another uh, awesome podcast I got to do a jingle for is Mandatory Redistribution Party. And they're like a, a leftist mm-hmm. funny comedy podcast. But brilliantly, they played this quote from uh, Paul McCartney when he was asked in an interview, um, so you took LSD? And he was like, yeah. And mm. then like two months later, it's kind of blown up to be this big thing that that you know, all the, anybody who interviews him wants to ask him about it. And so he finally is in another interview and he said, mm. I was asked a question whether I did LSD or not. And I told the truth. I had a choice there to tell the truth or not tell the truth. Stop shaming me for telling the truth when you are the media outlet. And if you're outraged by this, it's as a result of you being the one who mm. spread this to everyone. If I had my mm. way about it, I wouldn't be sharing this with everybody. It's your choice to make this news. I was just telling the truth about mm. an experience that I had, which I was totally fine to keep personal, but you're the one who's actually become the vehicle that keeps churning and returning this out and finding mm. more people to get reactions from and et cetera, et cetera. It was just this really like listening to Paul McCartney and how his voice mm. sounds, trying to get them to understand that was like, really really mind-changing because it's like that we have to take a step back sometimes and think is this the thing that's happening or is this how this Mm -hmm. machine that we're all experiencing getting our news from is just like turning it up to 11 um when it doesn't Mm. need to be and when you get bored of it you're able to kind of just take that extra step back and go oh yeah this is a choice that these people are making to yes big deal because they're, but, and they're not even playing to your interests, they're playing to your amygdala. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Just, in summary, if you are anxious and you are kind of really kind of suffering with health anxiety at home, and you're catastrophizing over symptoms or thoughts or, or, or anything, just remember the anxious response will create that lens that makes you catastrophize what's going on. So I advise that if you do kind of have an anxious symptom, take 20 minutes, let the amygdala calm down and go and guide your focus elsewhere. Well, then you can come back to it with some kind of clarity and you might realize that those heart palpitations don't mean heart failure or that IBS doesn't mean stomach cancer or, you know, those eye floaters are just eye floaters because we keep looking at them, um, or uh, etc. You know, that's the kind of attitude we can have a look at there. Uh, also, point out worried voice and your false comfort. Mm. Uh, point out that it's just really common. You know, notice that with the behaviours and the cycles that are keeping it there. And also, you know, just be aware that certain things, particularly now in this climate, I don't know what this will be like in a year's time if someone's just listening to this podcast for the mm-hmm. first time now. But as but as we're recording it, we're uh, in the middle of a is it epidemic, pandemic? I don't know. Like it's anyway, just some been flu- announced as pandemic, so that's kind of what puts a marker in the time period right now. But yeah. All right. Yeah. One of those. So thank, thanks for clarifying that. Yeah. Um, just tr- just try and not uh, get drawn in. Mm. To the, to the anxiety that it, it wants you to be part of the furore. Obviously, use common sense, mm-hmm. but kind of, yeah. But in general, we'll do some more kind of shows on episodes about health anxiety. 
but this is just kind of an introductory kind of one just to just to, just to show that kind of there is something that we can look at mm-hmm. um before we finish i just wanted to read out a question from a listener oh, um paul messaged in he said hi josh nella i enjoy listening to the podcast um i've only been listening for the last couple of weeks and he bought my first book a few weeks ago. Oh, thanks, great. thanks, thanks. Yeah, awesome. um, he managed to plug my own book for me without me saying it. Uh, and he's finding it really helpful in brackets. Uh, he's left three questions. Um, I'm not going to read out all three. I'm just going to pick one, and we'll answer that. Um, and then if it feeds into another question that we get, we'll, we'll address it again. Awesome. So thanks for writing in, Paul. Uh, one of his questions is... Um, Working in a job where you come across other people's problems all the time, how can you stop feeling everyone's grief and making yourself feel worse? And how to manage that part of your job is making you that makes you feel anxious. Wow! How does Josh keep all his patients, worries, and problems from getting him down or depressed? Or maybe they do. Wow, that's a that's a yeah, it's a really good question for you as just a person that has to deal with that. And I think that really resonates with a lot of people's lives like um sometimes even just working in customer service you face a particular situation where you're dealt with way more than you thought was in your job description um when you're dealing mm. with the public when you're dealing with people i can totally yeah relate mm. to that and how not to let it get the rest of your life out of balance you know by like not turning to mm. i'm gonna have a drink after work every day or or like mm. do something else to to chill out so yeah what do you what kind of advice do you have for Paul, Josh? Um, there's two things. When you train as a therapist, you're, this is something that you can take as, as advice. It's personal boundaries. So my boundaries are very strict in work. Mm. You know, I'm willing to listen to what people have to say. Um, and, and I enjoy and appreciate people sharing stuff with me. Um, but also it's personal boundaries in the sense that it's stayed within, kept within the time constraints of the session. But also personal boundaries that when it hits a certain time of day, that's it, I'm finished then, so I have to use self-care. Right, yeah. Um, Also in the sense of knowing how much I can take on. Mm. So I'll only see five clients at max a day, maybe six, but mostly five. Um, Also as well, interestingly, there's a belief that when you listen to people's problems, people kind of almost believe in this theory of transference which is a freudian theory which is if people tell me they're rubbish i'm gonna then feel rubbish Uh which which is an ounce of truth to it but actually a lot of the time you just feel kind of an anxious response and a bit of stress and you can kind of shake it off a little bit just because your friend's struggling yeah it's gonna probably make you feel sad because you because you care about your friend Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean you're gonna take on the problem like it's some kind of disease and that's something i mean we could spend a whole episode looking at that but it's uh misconceptions about sharing stuff with people right um so actually yeah I, the more i do it um paul it's actually i realized that i've trained my amygdala mm. to not kick off when i hear someone's problems mm. it doesn't doesn't don't get me wrong you hear some sad stuff and i take that to supervision and maybe personal counseling as well just right. in case it builds up yeah but that's how i deal with it um also, listening to people's problems doesn't get me down or depressed. Mm. 
Uh, if it did, maybe it taps into something with me. Mm. So I have had clients talk about grief, mm. uh, and it's very similar grief to what I go through. Yeah. So I've probably gone, oh, yeah, that, that sounds a bit like what I've gone through. And it taps into something with me. Uh, and interestingly, um, he, Paul did ask, how do we work out where our anxiety actually started? You know, mm-hmm. um, the first book says something about it just doesn't come from nowhere. We use the jug analogy that you so brilliantly explain, and that is kind of, it's up to you to find out what's in the jug to begin with. So you mm-hmm. can look at go to person-centered therapy, transactional analysis therapy, CBT therapy, mm. um, CBT therapy, cognitive behavioral therapy therapy, that doesn't make sense. Mm. Um, mm. Uh, and you, you, you find out what's in there because right. it could be anything. Um, and it does help so to name it. It doesn't, it, people might even just get overwhelmed with that concept of like, oh geez, what, how much do I have in my jug? And it's like, no, it's, it helps. It helps yeah. to just name what's there i think what's really nice about like one thing that i would take from what you said in terms of what you are trained for and experienced as a therapist is like reiterating that those boundaries are super important and i think if you're in the type of job we don't know what sort of job paul is in but if you're in the type of job that doesn't want to acknowledge that you're in a situation Mm. where that's happening a lot you know if they're sort of denying Mm. that that is something you're exposed to every day some types of customer service jobs you're never going to get the sort of support of Mm. there's a lot of emotional things that you're facing daily but you are and i think that for you to say personal boundaries is good so a person can actually start to advocate for themselves and just go okay what do i actually need in order to do this job and like is Mm. is my job overstepping some of those boundaries like trying to get me to email after seven o'clock or um yeah Mm. taking on too much in a day or just not having some sort of personal counsel to deal with like if you're in a job like as a therapist then you're mm. expected that's good that's going to happen at some point but um yeah. but all of your advice that you're telling paul is really useful so that he can try to advocate for himself in those situations as well i think of course and also just just final for a fish personal boundaries means sometimes just saying no yeah you know a lot of people in my life know i'm a counselor but if i'm out having a beer with friends and someone comes along and says Hey, you know, this thing uh, going on, and yeah, my, my partner isn't, yeah. Yeah, like I'll say, like, come on, the, the, I can't do this right I appreciate now. every person pub. sharing it with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, beer's more important. Uh, no, in general, it's kind of, I appreciate you saying it. It depends on the context and stuff, but you know, if I'm blowing out the candles on my birthday cake and someone whispers into my ear, you know, I've got a gambling problem, it's a bit like, you could. Don't tell me this now. You can tell me this. Yeah, I think. But I'm I'm laying down. I'm not a therapist twenty four seven. Like saying I'm not my best self mm. right now, so I don't want to give you less than my best. Oh, self. I like that. Like less than my I like that. self. I'm not my best self. Well, yeah. Are you your best self right now, Ella? You're at seven o'clock at the pub. You're not <laughs> my professional best self to do what's required. So. Hey, I do. I see all my clients in the pub. <laughs> oh, that's right. That's where we met. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we did we did actually yeah <laughs> boundaries no, boundaries um exactly but yeah no i think yeah. that that's i i like that because i can envision myself just in certain yeah like customer service jobs where it's like whoa i feel like i'm not getting the right support for what's actually happening here it's like okay well ask yourself some hard questions what sorts of personal boundaries do you need yeah and i hope that answers it paul obviously we could only had it in a certain amount of time um but yeah in in general um the training obviously helps with that too 
but also if you know if you've got friends around you that are, that want to confide in you I'd take that as a compliment mm. and if you listen to a bit at a time it's it's not hurting you in any way it's not oh, what if I keep hearing this and it makes me depressed no no it doesn't it doesn't work like that mm. um that that's in itself is an anxious response unfortunately we still live I believe we live in a society where it's still kind of taboo to talk about deeply emotional subjects um, and I still see that with some very good friends of mine mm-hmm. but it's uh, we're getting there mm-hmm. and hopefully through talking about it through shows like this and, and whatnot, uh, we'll get there but anyway yeah this is this episode's been health anxiety what if I have this so what um, remember wise mind is responsible for deciding whether you're ill or not you don't need worried voice constantly screaming in your ear telling you that you're about to die and you should plan your funeral. Um, don't let false comfort keep you in the reassurance trap of compulsively checking and testing. Um, and finally, don't go out drinking with Ella because she's a fiend. <laughs> Guess which of those is the no. Uh, you're great, Josh. Thanks for making this so accessible and chilled out and easier for people to talk about. That's wicked. Uh, thanks, Ella. Thanks. And feel free to email again. It's talk at thepanicroom.co.uk. That's talk at thepanicroom.co.uk. Ella and I will read all your emails and secretly judge them. And He's hopefully joking. we'll be able to read out. He's joking. <laughs> no, of course, of course. Uh, and I really appreciate everything that was sent in. And um, we'll try and get them um, read out on the show, uh, particularly if they're relevant to, to the next subject that we're doing. Okay. Uh, th- Hope you have a nice week, Alex. Lovely to catch up with you. And if you're listening to it at home, I hope you have a nice week too. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Bye.